How we regulate medicines, medical devices and natural health products is changing dramatically. This is a very important day for the future of the New Zealand health system. The Therapeutic Products Bill will introduce a new comprehensive regime to regulate therapeutic products in New Zealand. It hasn't been an easy process to make it law. It has taken almost two decades to get this bill in place and some of the officials working on the bill have uh, been working on it for 15 years. The bill is truly a once in a generation change for our health system. Why has it taken so long and why has it caused so much debate? Nobody disagrees that updating our Medicines Act, which has been in place since 1981, is a good thing. But they need to take on seriously the concerns of the community that are affected by what it is that they're proposing. If cancer patients can't get the medicines that they need, that will end their lives. And that's what this bill is proposing. This um, proposal, this bill by the government is outrageous. You know, we've seen this happen in the past, how dangerous regulating our mātauranga Māori is. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, New Zealand's new therapeutic products law. What's changing, what's still controversial, and what it will mean for you and me. Professor Rhiannon Braund is an expert in medicine safety from the University of Otago. She explains why the new law was needed. The intent is to make sure that all of the therapeutic products that we use here um, are safe and also that we can have access to technologies that maybe there were barriers in place before. And what's really interesting, I guess, about the Therapeutic Products Bill is that it replaces the Medicines Act. So the medicines are quite a uh, defined group. And therapeutic products is much more broad. It covers everything from medicines to natural health products to devices to biotech. The legislation covers who can uh, prescribe these medicines, who can issue these medicines or these other products. Um, So that's really important. It also talks about how we regulate them, so that's part of that safety, but also how we test new products that are coming in. There's a bit in there about how we trial these medicines. And it's regulating natural health products which has never really been done before. Yeah, that's correct. We've got it been, it's been an interesting situation here in New Zealand where natural health products uh, have sort of fallen outside of the regulators uh, and They only come to be concerned or considered really, I guess, when there's been a problem identified. So we've had products that are available, very little rules and regulations about them. But when they do cause harm to people, that's when when the regulator comes in. So this kind of flips it a little bit and it says that actually you've got to show us that things are safe before we let the public have them um, rather than waiting for things to not be safe. So that means, you know, if you go down to your health store and you want to get some... Uh, what's a natural health product you can get down there? I haven't been down there in a while myself. but St John's Wart's a great example, yeah. Yeah, and that isn't regulated, so they don't have to follow like any ingredients or, like, what are the limitations? Yes, so currently there's very little restrictions on what you can sell, and what's really important is there's very few barriers around proving that what you say is in the product is actually what's in the product, and we know that most of the products that we have in New Zealand are really safe, but there's, there's some that are a little bit maybe substandard. And so they've been able to be put on the shelves and in different places. And, and, you know, your health shops are one, pharmacies are another one. And we don't always know that what says on the bottle is actually what's inside it. That's so incredible. That's, we it's should phenomenal, really know right? that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and I guess we've always seen these as low-risk products, which is why they haven't had the same kind of level of regulation. But we do know that these products, that they work. You know, there's a lot of actives in, the, in these products that have benefits for patients. So we really do need to know that what's what it says is in the bottle is what's in the bottle. 
So what are the limitations with, say, the Medicines Act and also the dietary supplements regulations? I mean, why is there such a gap? This was written in 1981. Um, And so in 1981, you didn't think about anything outside of medicines. You know, we thought we'd have these little pills and and capsules. And the idea that we'd use natural products uh, the way that we do and the volume that we do, um, the idea there'd be new technology. And so as the products have evolved, it's become quite clear that the Medicines Act is no longer fit for purpose. Um, and so it can't regulate things that it never intended to even have available. Um, and that's been really the big driver, I think, for this whole review of the Medicines Act and, and the changing in words from the Medicines Act to the Therapeutic Products Bill. So give me an example of some of the issues that have been caused because we just don't have the regulation for some of these products. I've sort of hinted around the natural health products. There's been products that that we found when when used in, in people, in particular people, caused some liver damage, and so that product was was pulled from the shelves here. What was that? Uh, it was a product called Arthrum. Arthrum is marketed as a dietary supplement that relieves joint pain and stiffness. Medsafe says they've been told of 14 adverse reactions and some have required hospital care. So it was a product that was available in lots of pharmacies and health food shops um, and in a small number of patients. Uh, it did cause quite some severe liver problems. There's a process that you follow when you identify these things and that eventually got pulled off the shelves here. The new therapeutic products bill was trying to trying to swap that round so that actually we shouldn't be doing harm um, and that we should know what's in there. But, but again, the other things that have sort of fallen outside of the Medicines Act, um, things like insulin pumps, surgical mesh, a whole lot of other products that aren't necessarily medicines that have been used in different ways than, than people thought they might be. Yeah, so can you explain those? So insulin pumps, what happened there? An insulin pump is a battery-powered device used to deliver rapid-acting insulin to the body through a catheter, replacing the need for periodic injections. Yeah, well, what's kind of exciting about these ones is is that they self-regulate. So they put as much insulin in, they monitor the blood sugar levels and they regulate what, what's happening. It's all very high tech. Um, so it's quite different from, you know, doing a blood sugar level and injecting in your insulin. And so the idea that you'd have devices that could self-regulate had never been thought of. And so they were not regulated under the Medicines Act, um, but putting them under the Therapeutic Products Bill means that we can evaluate them and also make sure that they're more readily accessible. What about surgical mesh? What have been the issues there? We've heard a lot about surgical mesh through the media. A survey of people who suffered complications from surgical mesh implants found 95% don't believe they were properly informed about its risks. 57 people, including four men, took the survey carried out by the advocacy group Mesh Down Under. It found 93% of those patients experienced pain, nearly half had had mesh erosion and a recurrence of their original problems. Of course, there were um, a large number of women that experienced some significant problems with the use of surgical mesh. I'm in touch with people um, all the time that are suffering from mesh complications and their lives are literally destroyed. They, they live in chronic pain. They are unable to function in a normal everyday life. And again, this was an unregulated product used in a therapeutic way. And, and that really some of the harms or potential harms weren't, weren't identified early. And then again, it's that the problem you have when you, when, when you have problems that you identify late, coming back in and trying to, trying to unpack what, what could have been avoided in the first place. So there's been a long-standing battle to get this 
through to law, get these changes made. I mean, it's been going on for decades, hasn't it? Well, I think that's the problem with lots of the legislation um, is that as soon as it's sort of put out and, and implemented, it's already out of date. And so the Medicines Act would be a great example of that. There's been so many changes in the way that we use medicines, um, that who can who can do what, how we regulate, and lots of things that weren't thought about. And so there's been a series of workarounds right from quite early on. What's been tried before to try and regulate or add regulation to the Medicines Act or replace the Medicines Act as such? Yeah, they've, so they've tried a few different things, and, and one of them, I guess, most interesting one was the trans-Tasman harmonisation, and the idea behind that was trying to align the rules in Australia with the rules here. That started in the early 2000s under Helen Clark's Labour government. But again, there were some points in there that the two countries couldn't agree on, particularly around natural health products um, and what level of evidence that people need for, for these products to be made available. John Keats' national government had a couple of goes at various law changes, but they didn't get across the line either. The Labour coalition government released a draft bill in 2018 and undertook consultation. But progress stalled until late last year, when the Therapeutic Products Bill finally made its way into Parliament. Rhiannon says it's taken so long because it's so complicated. They've never managed to just tinker around one aspect. And I think that's been the biggest problem because once you start playing around with the rules around one product, you've got to think about the rules for other products. Um, And I think what's really important to understand about the Therapeutic Products Bill is that it covers everything from who can do what, who's a a pharmacist, who's a doctor, who's a prescriber. There's so many layers of, of information in the Act. When it was going through Parliament Select Committee, all that kind of thing, there was some real concerns with the bill. A lot of people got pretty angry over this. Why? I think when you put together a big piece of legislation, there's always going to be bits of contention. And I think some of the bits that came through quite strongly was around the Roanga aspect. Roanga Māori is healing on a very deep level mind, body, spirit. The wrong was particularly controversial because it really didn't appear on the surface to consider any of the mataranga Māori around wrong. It's not just a product. There's a much bigger consideration. And I think that became quite a, a very vocal pushback against the, the legislation. There's no way that any of our tohunga or any of our rongoa Māori practitioners would have agreed to be fined to up to for 200000 up to $1 million fine for not following the regulations. So that wasn't even mentioned in the first few drafts, was it? It was just lumped in with everything else? Correct. It was intended, well, I think, that when the bill was put through, it, they considered it to be just another natural health product, which I think was a little bit um, uh, short-sighted. We'll talk in a bit more detail about this with a rongoa Māori expert shortly. But there were also concerns about importing prescription medicines, like cancer drugs that aren't available here. Rhiannon says the government has tried to iron out these issues. When these big pieces of legislation are put together, words matter. Um, and so obviously often there's an intent, and then there's actually what the consequences of that might be. So particularly the importation one became really quite controversial. So the intent was to stop counterfeit medicines coming in, to stop precursor medicines coming in over the, over the border. But what it meant for patients that were importing genuine medicines that were prescribed by a clinician in New Zealand, the appearance was that that was actually going to stop that process to happen as well. They've put in place uh, barriers towards accessing unfunded medicine. 
And so there was a last minute addition to say, actually, they need to look at those words much more carefully because what they want to do is allow people access to safe medicines while they still maintain the safety around the border of what's coming in through the mail. Back to Rangoa Māori, one of the most controversial aspects of the therapeutic products changes. Rangoa wasn't explicitly mentioned in the original bill, so practitioners were concerned that traditional remedies would be subject to the same rules and regulations as other medicines. Back in June, the government announced that Rangoa won't be regulated in most cases. But any products being sold commercially or being exported will be, something that remains contentious. Before we get to that, Northland Rongawa practitioner Donna Kerridge of Ngāti Tāhinga and Ngāti Mahuta explains what Rongawa is. So essentially, Rongawa Māori is about restoring balance. That's what Rongawa is about. Sharing remedies is part of that, but it doesn't make up the whole of Rongawa Māori. So as a Rongawa Māori practitioner, uh, just say someone would come into you with a, an issue that they're having, um, can you just give me an example of that and how you would help them? Our focus is not about disease. The focus is on the person. So we look at what it is that is creating upset or mamai for the person who seeks our help, and we work from there. Quite often when you get to the heart of it, disease is the manifestation of other things. Often people will come to me with something that they have been diagnosed with, and I'll try and step back and then come forward again just to see how we can best help that person overcome the challenges they've got. So, for example, if somebody comes to me with breast cancer and they'll go, oh, excuse me, fire, I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer. Is there anything you can do to help? My approach to that is often, look, if you were to come in that door again and you couldn't use the word breast cancer, tell me what it is that concerns you and we'll start from there. So are you afraid of dying? Is that the issue? Or is there pain? So what remedies do you give them? How do you help them out of the place that they're in? We can help them by reconnecting them to their culture and finding ways that way. I may provide people with natural remedies from the environment. I may handshake them towards other people who can help them. So there's a wide gambit. There's body work. There's mahitinana where we work with the body. There are elements of spiritual healing. When it comes to therapeutic products as such, Mm. what kind of examples, what would you give to somebody there? So I think we have to remember that therapeutic products is not a Māori term. So rongoa Māori is made up of a whole lot of things. I think the gist of what you're talking about here, Tom, is understanding what is perhaps some of the natural remedies that we may use to help people. So bathing in, in tupakahi or tutu, Kareria arborea is the plant. Bathing in that can certainly help ease a lot of things that we might associate with rheumatism or arthritis. We may use think plants like mamaku that help soothe our guts when we have allergies and things like that. You know, they come from a place of experience and that experience is linked in to our understanding of the natural world. It's not just a chemical formula. Donna says the Medicines Act, which the new therapeutic products law replaces, desperately needed updating. For us as Rungwa Māori practitioners, that was a draconian piece of legislation, even though, you know, 1981 is when it was enacted. But that act made it illegal for me to refer on my website or labels or printed material 
to the fact that the remedies I use in Rongwa were used by my ancestors. So I couldn't say, say if I made a balm that um, from tutu, I couldn't put on the label as traditionally used by my ancestors. So how on earth can we have a, a, a law that outlaws the truth? It's just rubbish. And the only reason that Rongwa Māori even exists today is because it works. If it didn't work, I can tell you, not only would my grandfather have tossed it in the bin, I would have tossed it in the bin. And so to have laws that outlaw what I consider to be the absolute truth is disgusting. And so uh, the Therapeutics Bill is, tr is trying to address the shortcomings in the Medicines Act. And so no doubt the Therapeutics Products Bill will have lots of benefits for other sectors of the health industry. And hopefully that will have a flow-on benefit for Māori. But my focus is on the treatment of rongwa itself within the air. And what is the issue there? What's the treatment? What's the issue? The issue there is that it's hard to see how this act will benefit and advance Māori traditional healing practices. The act clearly places all the power in the hands of the regulator and advances the Crown's reach into our traditional practices. The Crown has assumed rights it doesn't have based on the 1840 agreement between the Crown and Māori leaders of the day. Mm. That agreement ensured Māori would retain rangatira tanga over our own tanga in perpetuity. Mm. So how was this bill going to regulate Tarongawa? The bill itself basically says we can trade among ourselves and those we have a personal relationship. But beyond that, Rungwa Māori practitioners must seek the permission of Crown to continue to do so. Then we have to get our ingredients approved and we have to get our products approved as well in order for us to do that. Now, people say that we have to do that on the basis of ensuring safety. Well, I'm just aghast that the Crown could even claim that. So we have pharmaceuticals, valued pharmaceuticals that create harm every day, but they are permitted. Rongwa Māori, when you look at the uh, MedSafe figures for, uh, for 2021, we see that there's about 3,200, I think, or 3,700 adverse reactions to um, pharmaceuticals and natural health products. Of those 3,000-odd reported adverse reactions, 19 were attributable to natural health products. Of those 19, not a single one was attributed to Rongwa Māori. So mm. we can't claim that we need to do this using safety as the argument to do it because there is a complete lack of evidence. Could I just ask you, there might be logic in saying there should be a, over a regulator for Rongawa Māori because otherwise there might just be someone putting this together and there's no oversight as to what they're putting in the medicines and the treatments. So shouldn't there be some over-regulation of this? So why would you do that? To date, we, we haven't had an issue with that. Um, and we do manage it internally. I, I can think as a child growing up, I would hear our old people saying, oh, don't go to that one. They're just they're a waste of time. And and we self-managed. We have existing laws that prevent people from doing that. There are laws that say what you say is in your ingredients list. 
must be there. Those already exist. You know, Consumer Guarantees Act, that already exists. Why do we need another law? It defies me at what's going on here. But yeah, the government did come out after a while, after there was a bit of backlash, and they said that the bill would exclude Rongoa in most cases. So what did you think about that when they came out with that? So the Crown saying that it's okay for us to continue to use the Rongoa Māori um, as we have for generations in most cases. So in which cases can't you? You know, if I translate that, that says you can continue to use Rongoa Māori so long as we say you can. And for now, we say you can do it this way, but you can't do it that way. And the bit that we can't do it is as a greater commercial operation or in terms of international trade. So you can do Māori, yes, you can do your rongoa Māori as you always have done, except where we say you can't. That Now that it's an act, what can you do about the issues that you see with it? I mean, it's in law, so what are you trying to do to redress this? So I think the only option available to us right now, or the only one that I can see, is to make an urgent request to the Waitangi Tribunal to address this matter. It's not okay that the Crown continues to extend its reach into places where it has no authority to do so. There's a peak body organisation, Whorongwa Māori, that is progressing this as we speak, and I understand that other organisations, other Māori organisations, have lent their support to that body in order to progress this. It's now got its royal assent, it's now an act, but there still seems to be things that have to be ironed out, like things that need further consideration. What's the process now? Yeah, I think this is where it starts to get really interesting. If you thought this this part was, you know, exciting, the next bit is going to be phenomenally exciting <laughs> because what happens now is a series of regulations are written. And regulations legislatively are easier to change than the bills. So once you've got the bill in place and it says a prescriber can do this, the regulations then define who a prescriber is and what the qualifications they've got to have had and, and, and all those really nuts and bolts tiny things. You know, we talk about this being passed, but really it's only the start of the journey. Um, the regulations now are going to take several years. We won't even see any of this starting to come into play until 2026. And I say, I say at the earliest, because it's going to take a long time. There's so much in that in that act that has to be unpacked. Does that long wait time concern you? Oh, look, I'm one of those people I'd rather have it done right than done quickly. Um, and it's taken us so long to get to this point anyway that to, to rush those regulations through would actually, I think, be problematic for most people. So between then and now, what's going to happen with, say, natural health products? I mean, are we still going to be not sure what's in some of these products? That's exactly right. So, so the Act, um, while it's been passed, it's not actually in effect yet until the regulations are done. So at the moment, we're in a bit of a holding pattern where we'll be abiding by the Medicines Act, uh, essentially. But it does give notice to all of the companies or the sponsors, whatever you choose to use, that make those products that in the next couple of years, there will be expectations around what they do and how they do it. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Mark Chesterman. Our producers are Sarah Robson, Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Rhiannon Braund and Donna Kerridge. Ka kite anō. <laughs>